The Jewish Hour is now on Stitcher. Listen to us on your iPhone, Android, BlackBerry, or Palm. Find it in your app store or at Stitcher.com. Stitcher, smart radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Herschel Finman, we've got a great show for you on this wonderful Sunday afternoon. Sit back, relax. If you're in the wheel, remember hands at nine and three, and uh, just keep your eye on the road. In this half hour of the show, we'll be featuring an interview with Professor Samantha Baskin from, she's an associate professor of art history at Cleveland State University. She's written a wonderful book about Judaism and art. Oh, this is like super cutting edge. A couple of weeks, we'll also have some more about art. We'll talk about that later on the show, uh, upcoming guests. We have some really off, undescribable, that's the best way I could say it. Acapella music. We're still doing acapella music stuff for a couple more weeks. The portion of the week is the portion of Amor, which is found in the book of Leviticus. We have a dynamic Hasidic story. But before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. Missing IDF soldier Netta Brand was found early Thursday. Brand was found dead near Beit Shemesh, shot to death with his IDF-issued weapon lying near him. Military police are investigating the circumstances of his death. Khaled Mashal, chief of Hamas and senior Fatah official Azam al-Ahmad, concluded a meeting Wednesday night that, quote, produced nothing new, unquote. The two sides have been arguing over who will serve in the new government. Presidential and legislative elections were supposed to be scheduled within the year. The Knesset approved a bill sponsored to cut the national insurance benefits to terrorists who are citizens of Israel by half. Terrorists who serve at least 10 years in jail will lose half of the benefits for unemployment, disability, old age, work accidents, and others. The head of Egypt's National Natural Gas Company said it will no longer ship gas to Israel because of violations of contractual obligations. Egyptian militants have blown up the gas pipeline to Israel 14 times since the beginning of the Arab Spring. Israel received its fourth German-made submarine capable of launching nuclear warheads, expanding a fleet that experts say could be used in attack on Iran. Israel contracted with Germany for two more subs. Been some sad news. We report the passing of Ben Sion Netanyahu, historian, Zionist, activist, and influential father of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He died Monday in his Jerusalem home. He was 102. Jerusalem police ruled that a march to the Temple Mount cannot be held today. 200 right-wing activists allegedly planned to lead approximately 20 sheep to Jerusalem's holiest site. According to Torah law, certain types of sacrifices, like, for example, 
the Pesach Sheni, that today is the Pesach Sheni, the, sac- Pasch- the secondary Pascha lamb, are permitted to be carried out on the Temple Mount before the Third Temple is rebuilt, provided a minimal altar is first erected for that purpose. Drilling operations were suspended on the Leviathan Deep Well in the Mediterranean off the shores of Haifa. The first stage of drilling reached 16,000 feet before it hit natural gas. Further drilling in the offshore gas field is being explored. A personal, for those archaeological buffs, a personal Hebrew seal with the name Matanyahu from the end of the first temple period was discovered on the floor of an ancient building discovered a recent excavation in Jerusalem. The remains of a building dating back to 500 BCE were discovered below the base of the ancient drainage channel that is currently being excavated. The International Olympic Committee rejected an online petition seeking a moment of silence for the Munich 11 at the 2012 London Olympics. An IOC spokesperson said that the IOC has paid tribute on the, to the memory of the athletes who tragically died in Munich in 1972 on several occasions and will continue to do so, but not during the open ceremonies at the London Games. Google, you know about them, is being sued in a French course court for what is termed discriminatory practices in its autofill function. Very often, the word Jew or Jewish will automatically pop up when a famous person's name, like Rupert Murdoch, who isn't even Jewish, is typed into the search line. The firm suing Google maintains that such automatic pop-up violates France's law against compiling information against minorities. And finally, no buts about it, smoking was snuffed out at public events and outdoor sites, including the Western Wall, under an expanded anti-smoking measure passed by the Knesset. The law includes a ban on smoking at bus stops and outdoor concerts. Smokers also will not be able to light up within 10 yards of a medical clinic or hospital entrance. Smoking at stadiums will be allowed to continue, but I don't understand that one. Well, what if they're having a concert? So you're allowed to smoke at a stadium if they're playing a soccer match, but you can't smoke at a stadium if they're having a concert. There's going to be an interesting one on this law, but listen, whatever works, as we say, and that's the news. Do you know the best place to buy fruit and vegetables? Why, it's at Frutasia. Located on Southfield Road, just south of 13 Mile, Frutasia provides quality, value, and the most wonderful environment to shop. You'll enjoy the spacious aisles, excellent selection, great prices, and friendly staff at Frutasia on Southfield Road and 13 Mile. Herschel Finman here. You are listening to The Jewish Hour. Our guest this morning is Samantha Baskin, and she's Associate Professor of Art History at Cleveland State University, has just written a new book in corroboration with Larry Silver of the University of Pennsylvania called Jewish Art, A Modern History. How are you today, Samantha? Hi, Rabbi Finman. It's good to speak with you today. The pleasure is in all mine. If you could speak just a little bit louder into the phone, that would be really great. Okay, we've had running debates on this program because since I play a lot of music, and uh, music works really well on the radio as opposed to, say, showing people pictures and paintings, we've had discussions about what determines Jewish music or music to be Jewish. And so I'm going to pose a question now. Since we're talking about art and you've written this wonderful book, what makes art Jewish? And that is a very tough question. The term Jewish art is really fraught with complications and variously understood. Critics tend to debate whether Jewish art need only be art made by a Jew, independent of content, or if both the artist's and the artwork's identity must be Jewish. Mm -hmm. 
Some we, critics even assert that Jewish art must be defined by a coherent style across geographic boundaries and the nearly four millennia existence of the Jews. And as you can imagine, this is impossible because the meaning of Jewishness changes throughout history and locale, so there cannot be overarching common characteristics. Mm-hmm. So, as we know, Jewish identity in 20th century America, for example, differs vastly from that in 18th century Germany or 21st century Israel. Mm-hmm. It seems to parallel also the same type of... Uh philosophy with Jewish music because I don't consider Bob Dylan, even though he's Jewish, or his music to be considered Jewish music. I've never played a Bob Dylan song on the show. And Jewish music seems to parallel very much whatever everybody else is listening to. So klezmer music sounds very much like Hungarian gypsy music, which sounds like Irish music. But then you have people who are singing uh, Metallica-type music and pop music, and we still call that Jewish music. So it it seems to be following, you'd say, then, that Jewish art follows the, uh, the, the scheme of what everybody else is doing in the art world, I guess, then. Absolutely. So Jewish artists are very much influenced by their environment. A Jewish-American artist is going to be influenced by, you know, in the 1930s, whatever's going on in 1930s America, by Gentile artists. What may differ is the subject matter. Mm-hmm. But also the Jewish experience might filter typical subject matter in a different way. Okay. Now, uh, great Jewish artists of, say, the 1100s. Can you name any? In fact, I cannot name any. Right. And that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a thing. That's why am I bringing it up specifically, is it didn't seem like art was really part of Jewish culture before, say, like, I don't know, if, I'm not the art historian, but uh, modern times, when you start getting into, like, the Chagalls and the Peter Maxes and and those types. Um, I was so, would it because of Jews were basically in Europe just trying to survive? Yes, in part, Jews are in Europe trying to survive, but they also don't have the opportunities afforded to non-Jewish artists. They're not allowed to go to art school. They're not allowed to study at the academy. <clears throat> but also... The diasporic experience really affects these artists. They may have made some art, but it was lost in their dispersals as they're running from, you know, pogroms or been destroyed. So we don't have evidence of a lot of Jewish art, um, especially paintings, but Jewish art was fabricated in ancient times, mm-hmm. rare compared to Christians. Um, during Eurocus in Syria is a third century synagogue full of murals. Yes, you bring that up in the book, yes. It's beautiful. We have illuminated manuscripts from the medieval period. Just a few have survived. Mm-hmm. Let's let's and, go back a little bit. We can even talk biblical. There is a quite an extensive um description of say the vessels that were used in the sanctuary in the desert which and if you want to include art to include the making of metal sculptures for example like for example the menorah or the ark cover with the the cherubim so there is some sort of a uh, a modality for the uh, the three-dimensional artists and that at that time absolutely so we have Ritual art, or Judaica, and some have survived. Now, much of it was made by non-Jewish artists. <clears throat> so that brings up the whole idea, is that Jewish art? If it's a, if it's a ketubah, mm-hmm. or if it's a Hanukkiah, where does that fall in this whole rubric? 
Right. It, you're reminding me, I once was at a, uh, a store and I saw a really nice menorah and I picked it up. And it was really beautiful. And I picked it up and it said, made in India on the bottom <laughs> of it. And I was just thinking, do I, <laughs> do I want my Hanukkah menorah made in India? So, yeah. So how do, you know, if a klezmer music played by a non-Jewish person is still called klezmer music, though. Yes, it is. And I, we, my, my co-author, Larry Silver, and I do think, do include in our book um, ritual objects in an introductory chapter in a prequel to modernity that were made by non-Jews. Most Hebrew illuminated manuscripts were. And we do consider those to be Jewish art because they tell us something about the Jewish experience. Okay. Now, um, I was very close to a, uh, a couple who lived in Detroit, and he was a collector of ketubot. And he had some really amazing, these are wedding contracts from the 1300s, the 1400s. And you could see that a person who was one has had any type of artistic expression could really go to town with these, these marriage contracts. These were very ornate, very beautiful um, uh, pieces of work, and the people that were in them, when you told me who these people were, some of them were famous people. They were most likely the people that had these type of ketubas were wealthy people, even uh, in, in, in those times at, you know, from Italy, from Spain. Would you like to comment on that, please, Professor Baskin? So, <clears throat> ketubot are commissioned, meaning you know, a relatively wealthy person would ask an artist to make them. And most of these ketubot artists were not Jewish. We do know of Judah Francis, an Italian ketuba maker, who did make some. And they tend to have Jewish symbols and Hebrew text, but much of their iconography, much of the art within them, often reflects the culture from which the ketubot come. So you might find puti, or classically rendered cherubs, in the middle of a ketubah that also has Abraham in it, or the Lions of Judah. That's that's fascinating. I'm actually quite amazed that that, uh, those, what would be obviously Jewish things, were not made by Jews necessarily. And people would, I would definitely like having them hanging on my wall if I could uh, get to Christie's and get them. So at what point would you say, was it uh, during the Renaissance time or I would say the Enlightenment time, which is after the beginning of the Renaissance time, which put us to the uh, the 1500s or even the 1800s, that Jews are now participant in the, the art world? So, as I mentioned, so Jews did participate, but not a lot, prior to the modern period. But indeed, in our book, we concentrate on modern Jewish artists who began an independent career as artists in the 19th century. So that's when Jewish artists really start to make an impact on the art world, in both in Europe, America, and Palestine, and then Israel. So these artists start to participate, indeed, because of emancipation, because of the Enlightenment, because they are not necessarily being driven from lands quite as rapidly. And some communities, some artistic centers like France, do allow Jewish artists to have some schooling to make it possible. And that's when they start to really paint not on commission, to paint, to do prints, and to work as sculptors. Um, Probably the artist that some consider to be the first modern Jewish artist, the first painter 
the first Jewish painter is an artist named Moritz Daniel Oppenheim, and he was in Germany. What year would that be? Um, that is <clears throat> the 1800s. 1800s. Okay. I noticed a comment in the in the book, and maybe I didn't understand it when I was reading it, about Pizarro and his relationship with the whole school of of painters at that time, the Impressionist paintings, painters at that time. And that he was considered like, he painted like, it's the way I understand this is like the other painters said, oh, he paints like a Jew. Did I understand that correctly? <clears throat> yes, they singled him out as Jewish, even though his subject matter was the same subject matter that the rest of them painted. Right, he painted haystacks. So this is a <laughs> Jewish haystack. It sounds like Lenny Bruce, you know, pumpernickel <laughs> is Jewish, white bread is goyish. I mean, you know, so... What makes a Jewish haystack, or why is it that they felt it? Was it anti-Semitic, or was there? Because they, could they say that you think differently than we do, and therefore your perception is different? And this looks like, uh, you know, Jewish. Pissarro was just one of many members of the art world and the Jewish community that was basically assigned difference. Was placed as a marked minority simply because he was Jewish. So it was an oh, anti-Semitic yes. undertone, you would say. There was absolutely anti-Semitic undertone. And also, Pizarro, he had a, he had a very long white beard, which instigated some of the Impressionists to, to label him a, quote-unquote, Hebrew. Uh-huh. Because he looked the part in their minds. Understood. Got it. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to hear that as a matter of fact. You think somebody's so enlightened as an artist and, you know, people who are like consider themselves, quote unquote, to be bohemian, bohemian and progressive and, uh, et cetera, would still have that, that undertoning. But last week we had, uh, the person from the ADL talking about the rise of anti-Semitism in America. So I suppose there is nothing new about it. At what point would you say that it didn't, it wasn't really a, uh, a factor if a person was Jewish or not? And people just said, well, this is a, this is a painting that really warrants us taking a look at and becoming mainstream in the art world, Professor uh, Maskin. Well, <clears throat> I think that, that that's a tough question because I think there still is a little bit of, we're looking at this work of art and it was made by a Jewish artist if there is Jewish subject matter. So if a Jewish artist makes something that has no discernible or overt Jewish subject matter, like an abstract painting, perhaps, by Barnett Newman or Mark Rothkoe, then Jewishness isn't necessarily noticed. And it helps if your name is not stereotypically Jewish. Mark Rothkoe was born Marcus Roskowitz. Uh-huh. Or even say Larry Rivers, who was a very well-known pop artist, his birth name was Yisrock Loiza Grossberg. And he changed that. And so people didn't look at his art as, as Jewish until he started making some Jewish artworks later on in his life. And so I think it really depends on the subject matter now. If mm-hmm. you're Jewish and you make something that is not obviously Jewish, you're not going to be labeled. Okay. What about, like, for example, Chagall, whose earlier stuff was more Russian theme, and then later on, as he progressed and got into Israel with the Hadassah windows, etc., then became more Jewish. Was there? Did he suffer from that as well? Well, Chagall, he actually did Jewish work from the beginning. He was very nostalgic about his shtetl, and he had a sort of an imaginary Jewish shtetl in his mind that he painted, and he'd have Jewish signifiers like the fiddler and so forth. Um, Chagall has always been labeled a Jewish artist. 
because he wasn't bashful. He did he did Yiddish theater decorations earlier in the 20th century, and I think he's always had that label. Okay. And he and he is considered by many to be the quintessential Jewish artist, the most beloved Jewish artist. Whereas our, we hope that our book will show that there are so many other Jewish artists out there. Right, indeed. I mean, my wife and I, there is a, uh, a Newman down at the DIA, and my wife and I have had much discussion about it. And all it is, is it's, uh, I called it, I took a look at it and said, oh, it looks like a ping pong table. And because all it is, is it's just a very large painting with a single stripe down the middle of it. And which is basically what all of his things. And I said, well, and I found out reading your book that he made a series of these. And if you were to go to a, uh, a gallery exhibit, if someone were to put an exhibition of Newman's work, that would all look like these various ping pong tables. But then <laughs> studying, but you're giggling, but my wife was really mad at me because then we, we, we finally found out that this was, he was into Kabbalah and this is a creationist thing and the whole idea with introductions of infiniteness into the finite matter and all these things that were going on, whether it was, it still looks like a ping pong table to me because I'm not the artist my wife is but the uh, the these how is it accepted he's he's uh, he's hanging in the DIA so the 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 acceptance of such art does it warrant that the the artist's explanation of what it is is what got it into the museum per se that's a good question how does art get into the museum and Newman's works originally, so he does these color field paintings with lines through the middle, which we call zips, and that's what he called them. Originally, when they were shown in exhibitions, they were despised and hated, and he got horrible reviews. Subsequently, Newman especially, he was a very intellectual artist and wrote many essays and talked about his art, and we do learn a lot about his intentions and what he was thinking when he made the art, and it is an intellectual art. And so that definitely helped and helped this art enter the canon. Um, but art tends to enter the museum based on either how the artist shapes it, if it is good, if it is technically strong, and also critics. Critics make or break you. So if a critic grabs onto your art and a major um, critic in America, in fact, he was Jewish, Clement Greenberg, loved abstract expressionism and it's in great part because of Greenberg that works by Pollock and Newman and other abstract expressionists are in museums like the DIA and others. Okay, fascinating. Um, my wife asked when reading through the book um, expressed the question to me and she wanted this is actually her question give credit to it. <laughs> we don't see a lot of discussions of what are referred to in at least in my circle as the Hasidic masters, the Hanach Liebermans, the Baruch Nachshans, whose paintings are are remarkable. They have tremendous stories. There's a tremendous wealth in them. People pay a lot of money for them, so it's not that it's not being ignored by the people who want them. But the the art history world, the art critics, the museums seem to have passed by or haven't caught up to maybe yet the Hasidic artists. Could you explain about that, Samantha Baskin? Well, it would be, I hope that it's that the art critics have not caught up to them yet. And I'm not terribly familiar with that vein of art, and in part because it's not reproduced in art books, and it's not discussed, and it's not so much in mainstream exhibitions. And critics tend to be hostile to very religious art, 
or art that depicts the other, quote-unquote, in that kind of way. They're just uncomfortable with difference. They're uncomfortable with otherness. If, If the critics are uncomfortable with the moderately mainstream art and many that appears in me and Larry Silver Larry Silver's in my book then they're going to really shy away from the work by the Hasidic masters okay so maybe that they just need marketing would be the uh, the things because we do have a book that was put together by someone who put it as it's the works of Hanukh Lieberman and uh, it's it's amazing stuff I mean it's uh, wonderful stuff to look at and uh, stuff which I wish I could afford to purchase because I know it's just it's uh, it's way up there. Okay, you've written a book called Jewish Art: Modern History. It's from uh, it's distributed here by University of Chicago Press, and I'm assuming that it's available in bookstores and on uh, Amazon and other such forum for purchasing such books. What was your impetus with you and uh, Professor Silver in putting together this wonderful book? That's a good question. Um, In 2003, I was teaching at the University of Miami and was asked to teach a survey of modern Jewish art. When I was looking through materials and trying to put together the course, I became very frustrated. There was no book available, and I had to cobble together essays from various sources and put black and white photocopies of the artworks talked about in class on reserve in the library. This was a travesty, and my students complained, and they were very upset, and the class could have been so much stronger. So, obviously, this is not an ideal way to teach. For several years, I was hoping that a scholar would write a survey on Jewish art appropriate for class use, but no one did. So... So you stepped up to the plate and did it. I decided to write it myself, and then I asked Larry Silver, my co-author, to join me on the project, and in the end, we were most fortunate to have the book published by Reaction Books, which is distributed, indeed, by University of Chicago Press. It is much more than a university textbook. It's appropriate for the general reader interested in Jewish art, and it has, as you saw, a lot of really beautiful images. Mm -hmm. There are 150 reproductions with nearly 100 in color, and we really wrote it to appeal to a diverse audience. Okay, I was going to say, I don't know if this is a compliment or not, or not but I didn't get the, effect, the the impression that I had a college textbook in my hand, considering that I see that the back of it, where it lists the price, does not, this is not the price of a college textbook, knowing what I have to pay for my kids' college textbooks. So um, it's I'm recommending it here on the Jewish Hour for, for people, that if you're looking for a, a Hanukkah present, Hanukkah is not that far away, to... Um, this would be an ideal gift for anybody who has any type of inkling towards art or a person who you think should have some sort of knowledge of art. So I'm giving it uh, five stars, two thumbs up, whatever you, you'd like to call it, Professor Baskin. Thank you, Rabbi Finman. That's great. Okay. I think that's going to – anything else you want to comment on it because uh, this is wrapping it up now? Well, I think that basically that Jewish painting and sculpture before their modern era – is not, obviously, as we've talked about, that diverse, and there's not a huge tradition. But this moment after emancipation that opened up opportunities for Jewish artists has really thrust the Jewish artist into the mainstream, just as there are great Jewish musicians and great Jewish writers, and Jewish literature, too, falls into that question of what is Jewish literature? You know, how do we define this type of art? 
So I think that in this this book that addresses the basic story of Jewish history and art from the period of emancipation is a really interesting one, and I'm glad I had a chance to talk to you about it today. It's our pleasure. I just want to leave you with one comment. Maybe you can comment on this. Hmm. The back in the late '70s, there was an exhibition, of, an exhibit, excuse me, of Baruch Nachshon's works. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe went to visit it, and, and he commented and defined, he said, what is Jewish art? Jewish art is, if I look at it, I'll feel inspired to want to go do something positive in a Jewish way. Would you like to comment on that uh, statement, Professor Baskin? Something positive in a Jewish way. So he saw art as inspiring. Correct. Hmm. Well, I think... If it, in, if it inspires you to make a difference in the world, perhaps, and some artists, especially in Jewish America in the 1930s and 40s, um, tried to create art that would affect social change. So if in that way inspires you to maybe make a difference in the world, tikkun olam, then I'm all for it. Go for it, as we say. Okay, our guest has been Professor Samantha Baskin. She's a professor of art history at Cleveland State, written a wonderful book, Jewish Art and Modern History. It's for, available from Reaction Press. Reaction is spelled with a K, and their website, which directs you immediately to the University of Chicago publishing website, is reactionbooks.co.uk. And like I say, I recommend it. You've got somebody for a Hanukkah gift that you want to get them, something that they wouldn't have gotten themselves. This is it. We want to wish you continued success and keep us apprised of your future endeavors, Professor Baskin. Thank you. It was a pleasure to speak with you today. Take care. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. The Art Studio of Oak Park is now accepting students. Whether you're a real beginner or have been at it for a lifetime, the Art Studio of Oak Park has something for you. All levels welcome, all ages welcome. Private tutoring or small friendly classes. Flexible hours available. The Art Studio of Oak Park is very affordable. Make your life better. Put art into your life. The Art Studio of Oak Park offers lessons in a strictly kosher environment. Call today, 248 542-5087. That's 248-542-5087. It's great having an art room right in the neighborhood. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here, you're listening to the Jewish Hour. For your listening pleasure, this is the Maccabees, the acapella group from Yeshiva University, and the song they're going to be singing now is called Miracles. Just living in the 
miracle Candles are my vehicle 890 Gonna shine invincible No longer be the visible Born through the struggle Keep on moving through all this hustle Head up, head down Through all of the bustle New York City Wanna flex your muscles Look so down Look so puzzled Put around your fire Through all the rubble Bound to stumble and fall But my strength comes not from men at all Bound to stumble and fall But my strength comes not from men at all Away your tears and your sorrows sunrise in the sky Like an arrow, no need to worry, no need to cry Light up your mind, no longer be blind Him who searches will find Leave your problems behind It will shine like a fire in the sky What's the reason we're alive? The reason we're alive Bound to stumble and fall But my strength comes not from man at all Bound to stumble and fall But my strength comes not from man at Healthcare offers patients the advantage of a safe and natural method of healing without the use of drugs or surgery. People of all ages, including children, benefit from chiropractic's unique approach to health. Call area code 248-557-1818 today to find out how chiropractic can benefit your family. At the Solomon Chiropractic Center, we especially love children. All kids should have their spines checked periodically throughout their crucial growing years. Growth on a crooked foundation will create a crooked spine and become harder to correct later in life. Kids love to get adjusted at the Solomon Chiropractic Center. And hey moms, did you know that chiropractic offers a safe, drug-free approach to helping with the many pains women often get during and after pregnancy? We even have special tables which open up so pregnant women can lay on their stomachs. We treat moms, dads, children, and grandparents with arthritic pains, neck pains, back pain, and headaches. People of all ages, including kids, benefit from chiropractic. 
Come experience the natural method of healing without the use of drugs or surgery. Stop living in pain. Call area code 248-557-1818 today for a free consultation at the Solomon Chiropractic Center to discuss you and your family's health needs. Remember, 557-1818. That's 557-HI-HI. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We've talked about a group of high school girls in Chicago who listen to the show on RabbiFinman.com, and they send in requests all the time, especially during, they like to do it during this acapella time. They wanted to hear the Yeshiva Boys Choir singing Amen, which Amen is Amen. That's what the word means, Amen. So Amen, if you want to say it that way, but in Hebrew it's Amen. And if you'd like to request a song, go to RabbiFinman.com and hit the contact and tell me which something you'd like to hear. And by gum, I'll try and find it. Let's listen to the Yeshiva Boys Choir for the girls in Chicago. Some of the best jobs in the world are in the radio and television industry, and you too can join the workforce in as little as eight months when you complete your hands-on training at the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts located in Southfield, Michigan. 
At Spex Howard School, students get to play and learn at the same time. Imagine spending your class time behind the microphone, spinning music and hosting your own radio show, or designing and lighting a set for your own TV program, running a camera, learning to edit, directing a program. When you go to Specs, your day will be anything but dull. And if school is this fun, imagine how exciting it is to work in the growing industry. In addition, the credits you earn while attending Specs Howard School are currently accepted at 14 area colleges and universities. If you've always wanted the best job in the world, call for a tour of Specs Howard School at 248-358-9000. That's 248-358-9000. Or visit them on the web at specshoward.edu. Specs Howard School of Broadcast Arts. This is where you start. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We've got a real treat for all those people out in our listening audience. We have the Jewish Hour Poet Laureate, Michael Druck, on the line. How are you today, Michael? Ruch Hashem. Thank you very much. How Good are you? Too. Good. Thank God. Thank God. I don't even know how many years it's been that you've been coming on the show and, and uh, entertaining us, inspiring us, and enlightening us with your wonderful poems. But Thank it, you very much. It's, it's been more than I can remember. I mean, you know, it just goes way back many, many years. So uh, tell us, have you got a poem or two for us today? I do. Uh, most of them are, are recent. Um, uh, two, I think two of them you've heard. Uh, you've seen, but you've not heard. Okay. Uh, they're recent, and I'll begin with the first one. Let's hear. We the people eternal. We are his people eternal, we his people are one, chosen by God the immortal, chosen in the sand and the sun. We in our holiness are boundless as long as the Torah is in hand. We in our holiness are immortal, bound by a promised land. We are his people, his chosen, wanderers from Sinai as told. In every page of the Torah, our story continues to unfold. We, his people, his chosen, are wrapped in the Spirit of God. With every path we have taken, foretold on paths we have trod. Hear the sounds of the shofar, hear the sounds of our prayers. Hear the tales of the sages being with us everywhere. Up from the dust and the ashes we arise wherever we were or will be, holding the hands of Moshiach, and that is our destiny. We are his people eternal, and that was chosen to be. We, the people immortal, chosen for eternity. That, that is fantastic. I really like the... Uh... The, the the powerful message behind it, the, the attachment of the Jewish people to the to, to to God, to Hashem, and to the land of Israel, it's it's a tremendous visual. I really really like that poem, Michael. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, got another one. We got time for one more. Okay, I'm going to do one that you've seen already, but when I read it in the synagogue recently, I added something. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is the this is the, so, uh, the amended edition. Okay. Well, yes. The revised edition. Okay. To sit among the stages and hear their every word and and note an ecstasy in the holiness overheard and know you are where you keep yourself and God is eternal. Keep words of Torah and a need to memorize things you have learned and what you have applied. God is an eternal thought and it is he who loves you so from well before the Sinai and everywhere you go. 
sit among the sages and drink in every word. Always be careful where you seat yourself and be where lessons are well deserved. His blessings are for the blessed, his Torah for every Jew. His teachings are for eternity, but that you always knew. Sit among the sages and never count the cost. Your soul is an eternal soul, holy and never lost. Holiness is not measured by the length of the beard or how much you pray, but by who it is you fear, and by all and every mitzvah. And you are to he who watches your every move and your certain destiny. Sit among the sages, hear them, strive for goodness, and stay away from sin. And remember you are where you keep yourself. And I'd like to add... Do not cavort or be with the nations, for you risk contamination. Okay, that's a little surprise ending there. I mean, <laughs> were you? Were you? I see strains of, of ethics of our fathers in there, and maybe some uh, some aphorisms from the Baal Shem Tov. Was I correct in that assessment, Michael Druck? Yes, um, the last line I threw in, kind of to match last week's parsha. Okay, about the contamination. That's why I threw that in there. Gotcha. Uh, that's that's terrific. Well, this is I, I would like to sit and talk about it, but we are just the time is flying and uh, it is only just the Jewish hour. So, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you in, maybe in a couple of weeks again, I guess. Okay, God okay, thank take you. care. Be well. Bye bye. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Do you know the best place to buy fruit and vegetables? Why, it's at Frutasia. Located on Southfield Road, just south of the 13 Mile, Frutasia provides quality, value, and the most wonderful environment to shop. You'll enjoy the spacious aisles, excellent selection, great prices, and friendly staff at Frutasia on Southfield Road and 13 Mile. Shulfinman here. You are listening to the Jewish Shower. Today is referred to as Pesach. Shani, the second Passover. And it's based on a biblical story of Eldad and Medad, Moshe's cousins, who went into the Holy of Holies to take out Nadav and Avihu after they went in when they weren't supposed to, and to take care of their bodies because they had died there. And then when the call came out to uh, offer up the Passover sacrifice, they were excluded because they were ritually impure. And they went to, to Moses and they complained. Lama Nigra, why are we losing out? We were told to do something which was a big mitzvah. Taking care of, a, of burying a person is, uh, supersedes a lot of things. Not all of them, but a lot of, lot of other commandments are superseded. And because we were doing this very important mitzvah of burying the dead, we don't get to do the Paschal, Paschal service with everybody else. It's not fair. That's what they told Moses. Moses, being the the chief diplomat, said, let me go ask the boss. So he went to the Almighty and with the complaint of Eldad and Medad. And uh, God said, you know what? They're right. They deserve an opportunity. So a month later, after everybody else gets through doing their sacrifice on the 14th of the first month, which is Nisan, they'll have an opportunity on the 14th of the second month, which is ER, which happens to be today. So, in the advent of Mashiach's coming, which we are waiting for imminently, 
We'll all go off to Jerusalem, and the first thing we're going to do is offer up our Paschal sacrifices. Man, I could use a nice piece of roast lamb right now. Mm-mm, shut my mouth. But in the meantime, we're eating matzah. That's what we're supposed to do today, is eat matzah. I have my eye on some matzah brai. Hoo-ha. Steve, you know what a matzah brai is? Oh, it's wonderful. You uh, take some matzah. And you soak it a little bit, get a little soft over there. You mix it with a whole bunch of eggs, and you throw it in a pan, okay? And depending on how you want it, some people like it fried in butter. Some people like it fried in chicken fat. Oh, yeah. No, don't give me the nose. Yeah, what do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. You could, well, you could do it that way. But uh, I happen to actually prefer it fried in butter with cheese and jalapeno peppers. Now, there you're talking over there. That's good eating. So uh, <laughs> so people eat matzah today. What's the lesson from Pesach Sheni? Everybody should ask, Lama Nigra, why are we missing out? The opportunity passed. Shucks. So we tell them, God always says, you missed out the first time? Try it again. Take, seize the opportunity. Obviously, from last, from, from last month, it says, don't let your matzahs become hummus, meaning don't leave the matzah to, become, to, to leave it over so that it leavens and, and gets ruined. So the word matzahs and mitzvahs is spelled exactly the same way in Hebrew. So you could read it, don't let your mitzvahs get left over. You have an opportunity, of course you should do it. But if you didn't, Seize the opportunity whenever you can. We're going to take a quick commercial break. we got the Hasidic story coming up next. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. This is Jim Hiller. At Hiller's, we support all things Michigan, which is why we support The Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard from the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts. We're happy to sponsor The Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding for The Jewish Hour comes from its sponsors, It's listeners like you that help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to The Jewish Hour, 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. That's 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. Your help is greatly appreciated. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? The easiest way? Go to rabbifinman.com. And there on the homepage over there, it's on the bottom, there's a little link that says contact Rabbi Finman. If you click on that, it'll pop this, this thing pops up. You type in whatever you want to type in over there. It goes right into my inbox. I mail you back something that goes right into your inbox. And we have this inbox relationship. It's always good to be in the box instead of out of the box, I always say. What else is on RabbiFinman.com? Archived editions of The Jewish Hour, for example, the last five weeks or so. We also have archived editions of the Eparsha, Uparsha, and Hasidic Use Story, which are insights into the portion of the week and Hasidic stories, which you're not going to hear here on The Jewish Hour. And, of course, the very important donation page. It is because of people, listeners like you, who are supporting the Jewish Hour now, 17 years on air. Commercials, they pay for a good part of the show, but we would never be able to make it were it not for contributions coming from listeners like you. So if you're not driving, go to the computer, 
Go to RabbiFinman.com, hit the donations page. It's all very, very safe. It's all through PayPal. And donate to your heart's content. Not computer savvy? Don't really trust count your credit card over the net? No problem. Send a check or money order to The Jewish Hour, 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. The story. There was once a man who visited the Mizritcher Magid, who was a successor to the Baal Shem Tov, you're talking 1760s, and he was um, on his farewell. The Mizritcher Magid said to him, sometimes it's not the doctor, the medicine that, that heals you, it's the doctor himself. He said, thank you very much. He didn't know what that was in reference to. A couple of weeks went by, and this man became deathly ill, and doctors were prescribing medications, and nobody was doing anything for him. They couldn't figure out what was going on with this person. And this guy was basically at death's door. Word came around that the king of Lithuania, this is how the story happened in Vilna, was going to be visiting that area. And with him, he always traveled with a Jewish doctor. And this Jewish doctor had given up his Judaism. And they approached the doctor and said, could you please take a look at this man? He walked in, took a look at this guy and said, Go, go call the burial society. This guy's beyond anything I can do. And he started to walk out, but then he noticed the guy's eyes started to flutter. And he said, quick, go get some medication here. But before he could rip off the, the, the prescription from the pad, the man's colors were back into his cheek. And he's thinking, no, that wouldn't have worked. Let's try this. And he wrote down another prescription, but by this time, the man's sitting up in bed. And he said to him, doctor, please don't go. I see that the angel refoil, the angel of healing, is with you. And they began talking, and he told them about what the Mizritcher Magad had said, that sometimes the angel, the, the agent for God's healing, doesn't have to come through a pill. It can come through any, many ways. The doctor was so enthralled with this explanation, so enamored, that he said, I have to meet this Mizritcher Magid. The man got better, and a short while after that, they traveled to Mizritch, where he had an audience with the Mizritcher Magid, and decided that he was going to rededicate himself to his Judaism. And the rest is history. That's going to do it for the show today. We are so glad you had a chance to tune in. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope we had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope that you have a great week. You got Pesach Shani today, eat matzah. And then Thursday is Lag Ba'imer, which is a Jewish barbecue day, just without going into great explanations because I only have a minute left. But we barbecue on Thursdays in honor of the great miracles that happened with the students of Rabbi Akiva on that day and the passing of Shimon Bar Yochai. It's a national holiday in Israel. And we hope to see you back again next week. Take care.
Shalom, Malachi, Shalom, Malachi.